Greetings, folks. It is Dave. This will be soon Mac Geekab 435. It's one that John and I recorded on Saturday, February 2nd at Macworld iWorld Expo in San Francisco. As we mentioned on the show, IDG set up a podcast booth on the show floor and it was a relatively last minute thing. I mean, it happened a couple of weeks before the show started. Unfortunately, audio support was non-existent for us on the floor. And while all the levels looked good on all of the various devices and sounded good in the room there, there was definitely some overmodulation that you're going to hear on uh, the microphones. John and I were doing our best to keep the levels up as they looked on the screen. And as it turns out, somewhere in the chain, and we're still not sure where, Things were definitely overmodulating when John and I spoke, so you're going to hear uh, some of that. That's I, I listened to this all the way through, and uh, while it's not the most perfect thing we've ever done, far from it. In fact, uh, there was some good content there and some good back and forth, so if you would like to hear it, we certainly didn't want to keep you from doing so, uh, but, uh, but we do understand that this one is not nearly up to the quality that we usually like to produce for you. Uh, that being said, I do, and I did say this in the show uh, on Saturday when we recorded it live, but I do want to say it here too. I want to thank Smile at smilesoftware.com for uh, sponsoring the show. This uh, this week we talk about Text Expander, which uh, which is easy for me to talk about because I use it all the time. Uh, Anyone who's listened to the show has heard me talk about it, but I will tell you a little bit about it now. Text Expander allows you to take things. Uh, that you would normally type uh, over and over again and save them as little snippets. And then you take those little snippets and save them inside of Text Expander and assign them little shortcuts. So things like your address or uh, if you have, if you do support for folks and you have auto replies to emails or not auto replies, but standard replies to emails. Like when someone asks you, how do I reset my printer or things like that? Text Expander is perfect for storing little snippets like that. You put it in, you assign it, uh, you know, for let's say your uh, fixed printer, you might save the, you might have a, you know, three paragraph little thing with, with some formatting in it, you put that in Text Expander and you assign it a shortcut of something like comma fix printer and you type comma fix printer and bam, all of that uh, text is just placed right there. With Text Expander 4, you can do cool things like have conditional fields or drop down fields inside of your snippets. So for me, I have my email signature and sometimes I want to put my cell phone in there and sometimes I want to put my office phone. So I type the same thing, comma SIG for my email signature. Out comes my email signature and it asks me with a little drop down, do I want to choose my cell phone or do I want to choose my office phone? And it works great. Again, this is Text Expander from Smile. There is a demo available at smilesoftware.com. And uh, once you're fully convinced with the trial, go ahead and uh, you can purchase it there for $34.95 US. So just short of 35 bucks, and you are well on your way. Again, thank you to Smile at smilesoftware.com for sponsoring this show. And with that, I will leave you to the audio uh, as pro processed as best as I possibly could here and... We'll take it from there. We'll be back on Sunday, 
the uh, whatever the next Sunday is. So if this past Sunday was February 3rd, I suppose uh, the next, oh, this, this past Sunday was February, where are we here? Yeah, this past Sunday was February 3rd. I'll get there. So Sunday, February 10th, we will be back with Mac Geek Gab 436. But right now, without further ado, Mac Geek Gab 435, go. The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 435, for Sunday, Saturday, February 2nd, live from Mac World Expo in San Francisco. Folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Decab. The show where you send in your questions sometimes, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found, but today we are live here at Macworld Expo, Macworld iWorld Expo here in San Francisco. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently. Instead of prepping questions from you ahead of time, we're going to do a little bit of stump the geek if you've got your questions, because we do have a live audience here. And, uh, and then we'll talk about some cool stuff found of our own here in San Francisco. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here next to Dave in San Francisco, John F. Braun. Get way close on the mic because it's... Uh, oh, one of those. Yeah, it's okay. one of those, yeah. Hi, John. How are you doing? Great. Good. All right. So uh, this is the last day, almost the last hours of Macworld iWorld here. And, uh, and so John and I have been, among other things, perusing the show floor all week, weekend, and looking for new things like we like to do. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about some of those, but interspersed with those, we're going to answer some of your questions. So if we can, does anybody have a question to start out with? Yeah, if you have a question, yeah, come on up. I'm going to give you a microphone because we don't have three. We only have two. So stay right there. Well, you can come to this side. No, yeah, come to this side. All right. Good. What's your name? I'm John Champion. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Likewise. Awesome. Good to be here. So here's the question. Um, I work on a podcast. Can I plug it right here? Yeah. All right. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I record in L.A. My partner records in New York. We Skype our podcast. And it's very easy when it's just the two of us. Now, in L.A., we often have guests who need to be mixed in locally to that same Skype call. The problem is Skype only sees one channel. It only sees one mic, even if you're using a mixer. We use an Alesis IO4 mixer. So the problem is, how do we have locally up to four mics being able to connect to our single Skype call in New York to bring us all together and have a good quality recording? Good question. And, uh, and, and it's actually sort of a softball for us because we do this sometimes. In fact, we do this a lot when we have Pilot Pete. It's the same kind of thing, right? Because no, you do it. I'm always by myself. Well, it's me, though. You know, you you need to hear me and Pete and the song, and uh, and Skype only, as as John says, Skype only sends in or will accept one signal. So you have to pre-mix it. So if you have a mixer, you certainly can do that um, by mixing down to, if your mixer has an auxiliary channel, if you're using an outboard mixer, mix down to the auxiliary channel and then feed that back into your Mac. So instead of just going and grabbing the channel uh, digitally from the mixer, you can do it that way. That may or may not work for you. You may want to grab it digitally. So there's a couple of different ways. Number one is 
you could take the output of the mixer and plug it back into itself and turn the mixer, that channel of the mixer down so you're not hearing it in the main out, but then capture that uh, from the, uh, you know, directly from Skype. Uh, or um, you can do it in software. You could, do, you could use something like Audio Hijack Pro to grab all of those things and funnel them into something called Soundflower, which is a software uh, instrument, when, you, when you're selecting sound for in or out on your Mac, you go to sound system preference pane, uh, I called that right, right, it's not, I didn't say control panel, so that's good, um, you go to the sound system preference pane and you, uh, you see all the devices that are listed. Well, most of the time those are hardware devices, things that you've plugged in or things that are built in to your Mac. Soundflower will appear in those lists, both for input and output, as though it's hardware plugged in, but it's not. It's software. So in Audio Hijack, you send sound out to Soundflower, but it's really not going out. It's just going through. And then in Skype, you put Soundflower as the input. So now whatever you've dumped into Soundflower is now coming into Skype. So it's like you've wired it internally inside your Mac. So that's the answer. Fantastic. My pleasure. Any other questions, or should we do a co couple of cool things found while you folks get warmed up with your questions? I guess we're going to uh, do some cool uh, stuff this, oh, oh, well, this young lady here has a... Stay close on the mic. This young lady has a question. She does. All right, come on up. We have a guest from the audience. Miss, would you please identify yourself? I'm Katie Floyd. Hi, Dave. Hi, Hi honey. Hi, sweetie. Yeah. I do the Mac Power Users Podcast, and uh, I've got iTunes problems. I have two separate iTunes problems on two separate installs. Problem number one, brand new, clean machine, very fresh install of everything. iTunes keeps popping up that dialogue, Do you, will you allow me to connect? It's a firewall problem. I change it a hundred times in the firewall, it won't stick. Redownloaded iTunes, still won't stick. It's problem number one. Problem number two, different machine, my iPhone 5 has never, ever been able to reliably wirelessly sync to this iTunes. So before Macworld Expo, because it's such a good idea to tweak with things before a major trip, I thought it'd be a good idea to do a complete software restore, and not restore from backup, just a complete restore of the software, reset up everything from scratch for the iPhone 5, and thinking maybe that will clear out the cruft and let it sync. No. So this is one of those questions where, uh, do you know the answer? John, um, I've I've seen number one happen. So let me let me bring up where okay. I think you you want to look here. Okay. Um, so we ha we did have another listener that had this issue and solved it, but maybe it's the fact that I had four hours of sleep. Um, I'm not sure, but I can't off the top of my head remember what that magic answer was. So this may this answer may come in a future show, but but go ahead, John. I, I remember someone had a problem like this before. I think where, where you want to look, Katie, is in system preferences, uh, security and privacy, firewall. And then what you're going to see is a firewall options dialog. And that has the list of the applications that should have permission. It won't stick. Yeah, she says, she, for those of you at home, she, she says she fixed it, but it won't stick. And, and we've seen this, and, and typically the answer is remove the app completely, re-download it. Now, have, you said you've re-downloaded and reinstalled, and that is typically it. Did you remove it first? Did you delete it first? Okay. It's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, well, it's, that's right. So, stump the geese. 
Yeah, this is this is one of those, um, and like I said, when it came in uh, recently, it, it stumped us too. But I seem to remember this listener was able to get it, and I was sort of hoping the answer would come to me. The one, the problem I remember. All right, so so the firewall didn't do it, and it does say, um, and, and you do see it listed as green in the allow incoming connections. It's listed as it's listed as red. She switched it to green. All right, and then when you right, restart, so it's listed to red. red, which is why you get that message. Okay. Yeah. Um, so at least the firewall is showing consistent with the behavior that it's also forcing you to jump through. Okay. The issue that I remember in the past, though, is you may want to. Uh, I'm curious what mechanism you use to uh, to download iTunes. Well, I guess the only way you can do it is download it from the the web page. Uh, there was an issue in the past where if you did an update to it. Uh, the code signing. So what happens is there's a little piece of data in iTunes or a lot of applications that register themselves with the firewall. Um, the only other suggestion I can think of is that there are app deletion, uh, you know, app cleaner, app delete, things like that, to make sure you get rid of absolutely all the cruft that's around. Um, I don't know if, if you tried those, because typically, uh, and this I think is just the problem with OS 10 in general, uh, if you delete something, you throw it out of your applications folder, there's all this garbage all over the place, uh, you know, startup scripts and, and, and other things like that. And there are several app deletion programs that will get rid of all that stuff. And maybe one of those other files, not the application itself, is damaged. So that... Try to permissions repair, I assume. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's actually a great idea, Ranger Lefty here, with the, uh, the, the suggestion to try a second test account to see if it's a system-wide issue or a per-account issue. That's actually a really great idea. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, John, you got some cool stuff found for us. Go with go with go I with one here. All right, all right. Good. Start with my first one here, and it is actually one of the first things that I saw here. They had a uh, preview uh, before they opened the show floor of uh, select vendors here, and I thought this was pretty slick. Uh, it's called Daylight Viewfinder from SIG Innovations, LLC. And what it is, so one problem, you know, iPhone's great, and the iPad is really, you know, they're really nice, and, and they have cameras, and you can take pictures. Here's the only bad news. Uh, as, as you know, LCD technology doesn't do that great under bright light. Well, how do you deal with this problem? And they came up with a really neat solution. It's two pieces here. One is a viewfinder, a round viewfinder, that you actually stick onto the screen of your device. And then when you look through it, uh, it will protect you from the bright lights. And then there's also a piece of software because, of course, uh, you know, it, it, it will um, you know, take what you're seeing there and, and translate it properly. So it'll let you do zoom and you, you could do either video or um, taking pictures with this product. Uh, it's 30 bucks, I think, at the show floor. I think I saw them on the second floor. It's 25 bucks um, here at the show. Cool. So I thought there was a pretty pretty nice solution to a problem that I think a lot of people have. Yeah, that's I, I, it's ingenious. We've got a is there is there a question? Uh, if you if you, come on, come on up and come on up and tell everybody. It's fine. We don't bite. Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Evelyn from the Bay Area, San Francisco. I just saw a sign upstairs that was actually twenty two dollars. And some odd $20, $22, thank you so much. All right. Um, I've, got a, I've got a whole laundry list here, John. Where to start? I'm, I'm going to start with something that, um, you know, we, we're traveling here, and there's many people traveling from overseas, and, of course, sometimes we have to travel overseas, and data is an issue. And here at the show, uh, sort of soft-launched, this product called GigSky. They are over... 
in uh, in the, uh, the what I'll call tiny town, shanty town. It's it's where all the cool stuff is because it's new stuff. <clears throat> what Gig Sky is is well, what you do is you buy a sim, uh, a, yeah, a sim card for for cheap. Like I think it's like ten bucks, and you put it in your phone. It's a data only sim, but it allows you to run multiple networks. So when you get to say you know, uh, if we're flying from here to the UK and we need data, you go online with your GigSky account and you can buy a la carte data that loads onto your SIM. So you don't need to, you know, if you get in at, say, you know, you land at, at midnight or something and you want to get to your hotel and check your email quick, well, you don't need to hunt around for a SIM from a local carrier, right? You've already got the SIM. It's in your device and now you've got data. And, uh, and you can have multiple data plans going, so if you're bouncing from, you know, you can buy 30 days worth of data or 10 days worth of data, and it's all a la carte, and, uh, and it's really cool. I, you know, not only is the technology cool that, that they've, they've been able to procure these sims, but they've cut deals with all of these vendors so that it's actually useful. Uh, and, and that's, you know, honestly, that's, that's sort of the biggest deal is, is that they're, they're able to resell it. They, um, the vendors set their prices, and, uh, and GigSky charges a convenience fee of a couple of bucks on top of each transaction because they've got to make their money somewhere. Uh, and that's how it works. There's no monthly fee. There's no maintenance fee. Once you have the SIM, it's good to go. So that's uh, GigSky. I believe it's GigSky.com. But if you're here at the show, you can visit them uh, over in, in Shantytown there. So that's GigSky. I, 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 I think they're, like, close to shipping. So it's, it's cool. It's cool. Go ahead, Mr. Braun. Unless you have a question about Geekstar. Oh, no, no. All right. Okay, this one I really like, and this is something that I think you should all consider using. If you use public Wi-Fi, does anybody ever hook up to Wi-Fi in a, you know, Starbucks and, or your library or something like that? Okay, if you're doing that, you may or may not know. Now, there are certain levels of protection. A lot of websites, especially if you're doing financial things, uh, what you will see is that the URL in the browser will have HTTPS, and that means secure. But even that's not a 100% solution, and, and there actually have been some hacks in the past. One was, uh, I believe it was called Firesheep, uh, was a program that would uh, exploit a problem with the way some websites would set up a secure session, and that you could grab what was known, I think, as a session cookie, which was not sent securely. And I actually ran this when I was in the uh, airport one time, just uh, monitoring the traffic. Because the thing is, you can see uh, everybody else's traffic, potentially, if you got the right tool. And uh, this would let me uh, log into other people's Facebook accounts, uh, Windows Live, things like that. Uh, how do you solve this? You solve this by deploying something called a VPN, or virtual private network. And uh, some folks that are offering a solution that is both for the Mac and for iOS, uh, it's called Cloak. Uh, or getcloak.com, you go to them. Uh, and basically what they do is they create a secure connection between your computer and then their secure network. And if people try to monitor the traffic, uh, they will not be able to. And I've actually verified this. There is a utility called Wireshark that you can download uh, and run on the Mac. It's uh, open source, I believe. And this will let you view all the network traffic to whatever uh, network you're connected to, whether it be wired or wireless. Uh, so... Uh, if you don't want your personal data to be seen by others when you're on a public, well, the best solution is don't use public Wi-Fi, but sometimes uh, you need to or you'd like, like to. Like when we're here. Well, exactly. I'm connected, yeah, right now to the public Wi-Fi. I haven't been monitoring 
it yet. I'll maybe do that later. <laughs> uh, and they have two plans. Uh, they're both based on a data rate uh, or, or an amount of data, $7.99 a month for 20 gigabytes of data. And then for uh, people that use more data, there's $14.99 for uh, 50 gigabytes. And they are right over in the uh, uh, shanty town or tiny town over there. Awesome. Uh, do we have a uh, do we have a question, or shall we keep going with cool stuff found here? I believe we have a question from Peter. Peter, come on up. Hi there, Peter Phillips from the UK. Um, I like to use Twitter Later Pro for my um, Twitter feed, and when I follow a link on uh, messages, it insists on opening the web or or asking me to open the app. Can I force it? to open Twitter Pro. When you open when you open what? It forces you to it, it forces you to open on the web? When you get a notification you mean? Yeah. A message, yeah. Okay, so Twitter Pro uh, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, Twitter Pro used to allow you to sign up for push messages. Uh, and if you did that, you will still have the ability to get push messages from Twitter Pro. But they were using a provider for their push messages that uh, wasn't perfect. That is changing. I'm pretty sure I'm okay to tell everybody this. <laughs> but but it, is, it is coming and it will be free. So, uh, yeah, so Twitter Pro users, will, if you haven't already signed up for, if you have already signed up for push notifications, you, you will be able to keep them. They were supposed to expire in March or whatever, but that's not going to happen. Um, and they stopped selling them in September because they weren't sure what was going on with Twitter and tokens, and they didn't want to sell people something that then they could not use. So uh, they put that kind of out of, the, uh, um, out of the options in the app. But it is coming. Uh, I believe very soon. I was talking to Andrew Stone actually about this last night because Andrew did our video show uh, on the screens behind the band at uh, at Cirque du Max. So that's that's where this comes from. And Andrew, if I spoke out of turn, I, I, you'll forgive me. I hope. Yeah, I still love you. All right, uh, he was awesome. Andrew Stone's a, a fabulous guy. Do you have? A, oh, I had a cool stuff found, didn't I? All right. Um, since we're on the, on the travel thing, I'm going to, uh, to bring something in which will be cool stuff found emeritus because I mentioned them a year ago after this show, and it is Nature Space. Nature Space is over in the 1,000 row, so it's kind of the, the, the wall of, of Tiny Town. They have headphones set up there, and these guys go out and record. They're, these guys really know how to record stuff, and uh, um, specifically uh, outdoors, they really are able to get what they call holographic sound. Uh, it's this total stereo image. You know, you put headphones on, and whatever it is they recorded or made, some of the sounds are, are combinations of things that they recorded outdoors, and then also sort of added some some uh, of their own ambient stuff too. And and the the app you can go in and download, and then you can you can add all these sounds that they have. But it, it's it's great with headphones if you're on an airplane. You can put one of these sounds on, and it totally makes you sound like, or makes you feel like you are out in the middle of the woods. It gives you, you know, it's, it's a really nice escape when you're on an airplane. But the one thing that, uh, that they told me this week, which I did, I went and talked to them, and they said, oh, yeah, what you got to do in, in your hotel room is take your iPhone and start playing the cricket sound and take the speaker of your iPhone and face it towards the window that's closed. 
and uh, it says you'll, you'll wake up thinking that you're out, you know, that you, you've, you've been at home, and it's the windows open, and it's summertime, and he's totally right. And then uh, and at home, I sleep with a window uh, to the right side of my bed. Now, obviously, this time of year, we don't open it at all, but in the summer, you know, we do. And so I did that the first night because that's where the window in my hotel room was. And I felt it was, it was amazing because I woke up and it was like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in a hotel because I thought I was sort of at home. The next night, just to mess with myself, I put it on the other side of the room against a wall reflecting. And when I woke up, I had no idea where I was <laughs> uh, because I, I'm not used to having a window on the left side of my bed. So but that's Nature Space. It's an app for iOS that's that optimized for both iPhone and iPad. And uh, really, really cool stuff. So if you, it, it, you know, it's not just for headphones. It really does work with ambient sound just uh, through speakers even in the room. I was using it through the iHome that we had in our hotel rooms, and, and it sounded great. So cool stuff found Emeritus. Mr. Braun, how you doing? Great. Good. I know. Get oh, close I to see. Mic. No, your mic is, uh, is, your stand is wobbly. Okay, your stand's going to remain wobbly, so there you go. All right. Oh, let's see what else we have here. Okay, this is cool. Power Trek is the name of the product here from MyFC right over there. What do they make? They make a fuel cell, fuel cell slash battery. So it's kind of cool. Uh, fuel cells, if you don't know, uh, basically they are powered by water. So very nice option. Uh, and uh, we, we do have a write-up on the site here, uh, but a lot of us uh, thought it was cool. Actually, got one of our editors' choice. Uh, I think the unit goes for about 200 bucks, uh, and the cartridges. So, so the thing is, the cartridges do deplete, and I believe three cartridges go for ten dollars. Uh, and you just add a little water, and you will get, I think, about two charges. Uh, so it'll generate the electricity and also uh, acts as a battery. So you get about two full charges on a uh, uh, iPhone-type device. But nice green option to power things, no, you know, nasty stuff, uh, well, maybe in the battery that they have in there, but the process itself doesn't, all it generates is uh, water or steam, so. That's pretty good, so for like camping or, uh, or I mean, traveling even, huh, that's, um, that's almost like magic, I like that. All right, any more questions from, uh, from those of you sitting here in the crowd? You're all exhausted from, uh, from the show, aren't you? Okay, you look like I feel. So, that's right. Yeah, wake it up. Wake it up. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to take this opportunity to talk about our first sponsor for this show, which is here at the show, Smile Software. Sorry, smile at smilesoftware.com and at smilesoftware on Twitter. But they are called Smile. And, uh, and today we get to talk about Text Expander which is so easy because it is something I absolutely love and couldn't possibly think about not using uh, or having on my Mac. So, uh, yes, this is a, a, a sponsorship, but it, it's, it's, you know, Text Expander definitely falls into that cool stuff found category if you haven't used it. Uh, go ahead and check it out. What it allows you to do is create little snippets of text, and sometimes they can be really big snippets of text. Like if you have an auto response to something, a question that you get asked a lot, if you do, say, support work for people, or you have your address, uh, or you have you know, your signature line and your email and you want to be able to customize that, you put all these snippets into Text Expander and then you assign them really, really short, easy for you to remember shortcuts and you can customize them to be whatever you want. And then you type 
that little shortcut and bam, no matter what program you're in on your Mac, Text Expander barfs out this text that is all of the um, all of the snippet that you had previously created, and now you can you can actually have custom fields in it, so it can you can say, look, once you spit out this snippet, like for me, my email signature. Sometimes I want to give my office phone number. Sometimes I want to give my cell number, and it actually comes up and prompts me. I, I type my little thing for signature, and it puts my signature in, and then I get a little tab thing or a little drop down that lets me choose which phone number I want to use. Really, really easy. You can go and get a free trial from uh, smilesoftware.com, and when you're ready to buy, it's 35 bucks. So that's Smile with Text Expander. You got a cool stuff found for us, Mr. Brown? I got more. Actually, let me bring up my. Uh, but wait, there's less. So there's another thing that they um, uh, we were able to preview here. Uh, and I thought it was a cool thing in uh, printing technology. So it's not Mac specific, but uh, HP is rolling out um, a new printer. It's the uh, X451 slash X551. Uh, and here's some of the cool things about it. So it is an inkjet printer, but here's the thing that they're doing that, that is pretty innovative. So as, as you probably know, if you peek in your inkjet printer, it's a tiny little head and it goes back and forth and back and forth. Well, that takes time. So how do you solve this problem of not having to move the head back and forth? And some of you that have worked uh, with uh, older printer technologies could probably take a stab at how you do that. Well, you make the print head the entire width of the page. Just like band printers and uh, line printers, uh, they would basically print a line at a time. So what this printer does is it prints across the entire width of the page. So the, the head or ink cartridge is the width of the page. Uh, and the speeds that they uh, gave here, and actually they did, uh, the, they say that they got it certified by Guinness Book of World Records as the uh, world's fastest desktop printer. And the speeds that it accomplishes, which kind of shocked me for any type of printer here, is uh, depending on the model, uh, at least 55 pages per minute up to 70 pages per minute, which is pretty smoking. Uh, the other thing is that the ink, um, there are, two, there are basically two different uh, ink technologies, uh, and the one that a lot of people use is uh, called dye-based. Um, that's nice, but you know some bad things happen with dye-based. The other technology is called pigment-based, and here's the practical offshoot of this. And the guy actually demonstrated it as he took a page that he printed, took a glass of water, and poured it on the page. Now, with your uh, dye-based ink, what would happen is it would get all diluted and, and smear and and run. Well, with pigment-based, it doesn't do that. So it's also very uh, This very is right, right after it came out of the printer, he poured water on it? Um, now, he already had a, a... Okay. I believe it would happen. Maybe it does have to dry. I don't know. No, that's pretty cool. I think I think you're right. I think pigment, once it's on the page, it's it's done. Huh? And, uh, and the cost per page, if you follow that sort of thing, I think their estimate based on the price of the ink. So the ink is a little more expensive. I think the ink cartridge is about 100 bucks each, but they last for several thousand pages, and the cost that they gave is between 6.7 and 6.8 cents a page, uh, which, from what I know, is pretty pretty good if, uh, if you're paying for the ink and not someone else. So uh, that, that is going to be coming out, I believe, in the spring, is what they said. That's pretty so. cool. Um, do we have any other questions from the audience for Stump the Geek? Come on up again. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is an interactive presentation, yes. So I know a lot of people like iPassword for passwords, one, but one I've actually, one password, right. But I've actually always used Splash ID because going back to my Palm days, and I like that. But is that actually a pretty decent 
uh, in comparison for security wise? That's a good question. I, I haven't, um, the only ones that I've really used are 1Password, um, LastPass, which I know you use extensively, John, yes. and and the one, uh, and I can't think of the name of it, from DataViz that, that they uh, came out with last year. Um, I don't know about Splash Pass, is that right? Splash, okay, yeah. I, I've, I've not used it. I'm, have you? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. And what, what all these programs do to, to varying degrees here, and I like um, LastPass, is in theory, you should not use the same password on every site that you visit because if somebody figures it out, then they can access all of your sites. So what you should do is use a slightly uh, different password and actually uh, a little thing that I've seen happening in security circles uh, so some people say you should c come up with a password that has letters, numbers, symbols, um, the kitchen sink, all of that stuff. It had a lot of have a lot of variability in it, so it's hard to guess. Uh, actually, studies have shown that that is not the best strategy. The best strategy is to make it as long as possible. Even if it's even if it's one character repeating. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So having a password of 50 zeros, the thing is, someone would have to go through. No, Whatever to the 50th power combinations before they can hack it. So having yeah, if they, something... If they don't know the length out of the gate, that in and of itself is actually the most secure thing about that password. Right. But the thing I love about this uh, LastPass, so they, they do have uh, plugins for Safari and uh, Firefox. And what happens is when it sees you're on a page where it thinks you're entering a password, it'll say, hey, you want me to remember this for you? It can also do generation of random passwords. I think one password is similar in this sure. respect. And then whatever computer you install it on, this is the cool thing. So say you have a home computer, a work computer, and you visit the same sites. It will then, when it's on the site again, say, hey, you want me to populate this uh, for you? So I think it's a really slick type of product, uh, any one of them. Uh, yeah, it helps you be it's secure. Good to have. And makes it so because in the past what I would do is, you know, sometimes you log in, you try too many times to log into a site and you get it wrong. Uh, well, then you get locked out and that's, that's very that unpleasant. Yeah. So... All right. Is it my turn or your turn? Okay. Go. Go. I want to talk about this little thing. And, uh, and those of you here can see it. Those of you, of course, at home can't. So I will tell you what it is that I'm holding in my hand. It's from Kanex, K-A-N-E-X, and they're here on the show floor. It's called the MySpot. And, uh, and really, it looks like a little USB dongle. And it is. Uh, but it uses USB for power. And on the other end, it has an Ethernet port. And what this thing does, it has inside it, is it becomes a Wi-Fi hotspot. So you get yourself to your hotel room, you plug this into power with uh, USB, you take the Ethernet jack or the Ethernet cord from your hotel room desk, you plug it into the back of the device, and now you have a Wi-Fi hotspot in your hotel room so all your devices can get online with one connection. I'm sure the hotel's like that, but folks, let's face it, they charge us 15 bucks a day for really, really crappy bandwidth. You know, if, if you know, I pay 40, let's say I pay 45 bucks a month at home, so that's, you know, three days worth of a hotel's uh, thing, and, and I get way better out of it. So I don't feel bad using multiple devices on the hotel network. Um, I honestly don't care what their terms of service are. And if it makes me a bad guy, tell the hotels. Um, so, uh, so that's this. I, uh, you know, I don't have the price here, but I think it's, 
I want to say it's like 49 bucks, maybe 59 bucks. It's really not that expensive. It's way less than 100 bucks. So uh, we have a, a question from the audience about it. The range. It's basically, yeah, range isn't stellar on this thing, but it's enough for a hotel room. Yeah, and maybe if your buddy has the room next door or above you, you might be able to get away with, uh, you know, two hotel rooms worth for the price of, of what should be about 16, but it is the price of one. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's the, uh, that connects my spot. You could do this with an Airport Express or, uh, or that sort of thing, but of course this is much smaller. It really is, for those of you that can't see this at home, which is of course most of you, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a couple of packs of gum stacked together and that's it. So it, you leave it in your laptop bag and never even think about it, and when you get to the hotel, boom, it's already there for you. So. All right. I think we uh, have just we have a question? had a question. Come on up. So the, the, the question is, can't the hotel see that you have multiple devices connected? And while that, in theory, would be possible with some pretty advanced uh, network and packet sniffing or really traffic sniffing, it's going, really what's going to happen is the hotel is going to see this device as, just like your router at home, you only get one, typically, you only get one IP address from your cable provider or your DSL provider. This is, it, this is doing the same thing. It's a, there's a router in here as well. So it takes that one address and shares it amongst all your devices. Again, just like you do at home with your time capsule or Airport Extreme or Airport Express. So in most cases, yeah, probably not. The hotel's not going to not going to know. So you bring a good point because I, I, I've actually done this in the past by accident when I, because uh, I, I like to bring my uh, airport express with me. Um, if you put it in bridge mode, which basically makes it like a virtual extension cable, then they will da absolutely see multiple things connecting. If it's doing NAT, uh, network address translation, then it should, as they've said, appear as a, a, a single device. Because yeah. I did have that happen once when a hotel I went to and they, they billed me twice and I said, I only have one computer, why are you billing me twice? And they scratched it. Sorry, I'm sorry. It, right. right. Well, that's the thing is this will work with your iPhone, iPad, all that good stuff. Yeah. So. In, because it, it's working with Ethernet access from whatever you're getting it from. So you need... Um, it's it's Wi-Fi, right? So your iPhone would connect to this Wi-Fi, and this connects hardwired to the network in the hotel or whatever room you're in. Yep. Because I don't know who they're supposed to be meeting with. You're upstairs. Mr. Mr. Brown is. Uh, I need to buy an auto. You need to. This really is built for use in hotel rooms. So where, where there's already an Ethernet cable with internet access on it. So. Are, are we okay, Kathy? Well, this is happening. Let me toss something out here. I haven't actually used it, but it looked like a pretty neat device, and I think there's an upgraded version here in the Wi-Fi space. Uh, and I think they're, they're over this, this way somewhere. It's a little thing called Bear Extender Mini. Uh, and what they claim is that it extends your uh, Wi-Fi range, 802.11 Wi-Fi range, uh, two to four times. Uh, and it has 1,000 milliwatts of power, which uh, is more than your standard Wi-Fi base. So... Heck, I got to get one of these from these guys. Uh, Fifty bucks. Uh, seems pretty neat. I saw this on the floor. I don't know if you saw this, Dave. I, I did. In fact, um, I have the the same thing that I was going to talk about too. So great minds think alike, my friend. And I was busy being distracted with something that and I, 
Okay. Oh, so did you t you tell you told them all about this already? Yeah, okay. not much to say. It gives you better Wi-Fi range. Works with 802.11n. Um, there was another device which huh? fell huh? by the wayside. Yeah. Remember the the Wi-Fi. The it wi seems they haven't been updating that. Yeah. That was another device, and I think that only did uh, 802.g. Yeah. And then the final option, now, you know, the thing was, that this was uh, in the hotel we were in, their Wi-Fi coverage is uh, kind of spotty because I didn't get it, even though they provided me. Ah, right. I, I couldn't see the access point. Actually, this may, have, this may have helped because yep. it amplified, amplified the signal. Now, the other thing that I like, uh, and I did receive this from Clear uh, for promotional consideration. Or not for promotional consideration. Not for promotional consideration. They just gave it to you because you're media. Yeah. They didn't said, hey, you're media, check it out. But um, <laughs> I've had... Just uh, a long had, term, that's all. Sorry. I've had this... Uh, this helped me out here. So it's a 3G, 4G USB adapter. Uh, I don't know the pricing off the top of my head. It doesn't exist anymore. This you, you device. Can't, you can't get 3G from them anymore. Only 4G. Just 4G? Yes. Okay. Because they were leasing 3G from Sprint, and when you use 3G, it costs them money. But, um, but that oh, be, actually, you know, it's yelled at me sometimes. It says you're roaming, and, right. and I don't think it'll work. But That's 4G, right. I have 4G coverage in my area, and, uh, and it's pretty snappy in the tens of megabits I, per second. I used the, the clear thing here this week as, as well, um, and it was great. Yeah, it's decent, decent Wi-Fi, and, and their pricing's not, not, uh, not bad. Okay. Um, Oh, let's see. Now I got to get back to my thing. So we, we got distracted. It was amazing. Here we are in front of a crowd of people, and uh, and the same thing that happens when we do the show at home. You know, John's talking about something, and I get distracted with something else, which I honestly didn't think would happen here. But there you go. Um, so uh, there's a booth right over my corner here from a company called Connected Data that says Transporter on it, and this is definitely something you folks want to check out. So. They may hate me for describing it this way, but my job is to make sure you understand what this product is, not be their marketing guy. So, um, uh, so I'm going to try and explain it very, very quickly. We've all used Dropbox. Potentially, we've all used Dropbox. What Dropbox does, it, it's, it's a paradigm that many of us are familiar with. It allow, it, you install the software, it creates a folder on your Mac, you put stuff into that folder, and then you can go to another Mac and sign in with that same Dropbox account. And whatever was in that folder on your one Mac now is in the same folder on another Mac. In addition, it's also accessible from the cloud, it's accessible from your iOS devices, and it's accessible from your iPad or you know, whatever you want. And then we can also share, right? So I can have a little folder in my Dropbox that John sees, and when he puts stuff in the Dropbox folder, uh, you know, I get to see it on mine, and it happens automatically. So that's Dropbox, for those of you that don't know what it is. It's awesome, it's freemium, you get a certain amount of space for free, and then if you want more, you use it. But, as I said, it's stored in the cloud. So you're spending time uploading the data to the cloud, which may or may not be an issue, but it's also that your data is being stored with someone else, and that may be an issue for you, uh, either just philosophically or perhaps against your company's uh, policies. And that's what the transporter allows you to do. It is your own personal cloud. It is Dropbox that you host in your house or office. It's a it's a it's a cool looking little device. It, it's um it's sort of futuristic. It, you you fit a hard drive into it. Uh, you can buy it from them with a hard drive or without, and put your own drive in. Uh, I think it's one ninety nine without a drive, and then with drives you can you know get bigger. Um, and the way that it works is you install some software, just again just like you would with Dropbox, and point it at this transporter. And now you have a folder that you can sync, or you can just leave the data on the transporter because it's on your local network, so you have quick access. But you can pick folders or all of them to sync to your Mac, 
and then when you're in your office, they're on your Mac, and when you take your MacBook and go out and travel all over the world, you are still connecting back to your office to, or your home, rather, uh, to sync this data. And just like with Dropbox, I can take a folder and share it with John, and as long as he accepts the invitation to that folder, it's the same kind of thing. He can put data in it, it syncs with me, and that's cool. What's even cooler is if John buys a transporter and puts it in his house, well now we can set a folder to be shared between, or many folders if we want, to be shared between those two transporters and it happens automatically. So we put stuff in there, we don't have to store it on our Macs, it can be a network drive, so you're treating it like separate storage, whereas Dropbox you're using up the same amount of space on your Mac, and the network drive then syncs to John's network drive and he's got all that same data on his network. So lots of uses for this thing, very cool technology and uh, it's almost ready for, for sale. I'm not sure if they're selling it quite yet, but if not, it's coming real soon now. Weeks, weeks away, I believe. So that's Connected Data's transporter. It's cool. And it's stuff. And we found it. It's good. That's right. <laughs> all right. John. I found some more. This good. I didn't think was possible. They are also in the small vendor area here. The, the company, I believe, is uh, ICVT, and they have a program called JPEG Mini. And it does one thing, and it seems to do pretty well. Uh, they they uh, gave me a card so I could get it uh, and install it. Uh, it basically takes a JPEG image. And now here's the funny thing. JPEGs, as some of you may know, JPEGs are already compressed. That's right. Yeah, because they're, they're not the, the, the raw full uh, full image that might be, you know, seven or eight megs or gigs or whatever. Right, so versus a, a raw file or, or things like that, it, it, it is less and it is lossy. Some data is taken out of it. And typically what happens is if you try to compress something and then take something that's compressed and compress it again, if anything, it typically gets bigger. Or this is what I've seen, or nothing will happen. Well, these guys, have done, they must have some really smart people on their staff because what it does is takes a JPEG and re can reduce it in size by uh, up to five times. Does and it I stay a JPEG or do you have yes. to then decompress it with this software? Yes, it stays as a JPEG. So you could compress a file and send it to me and I don't need anything other than preview on my Mac to look at it. Correct. Whoa. It actually, yeah, it actually replaces, so you may want to make a copy. Though visually, if you look at it before and after, and I did, I, I, I couldn't detect it. So um, wow. if, you're, if you have, you know, you're a photographer and you have a lot of JPEGs and you'd like them to take up less space, then, uh, and it's uh, 20 bucks. Is it, is it slow? No, it was very fast. I think it, it, I took an image that was several megabytes and it shaved a few megabytes off of it and it, you know, took maybe five seconds or That's less. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, what I'm, what I'm thinking is it's great that we have this in software, but by golly, if it's doing what... John says it's doing, and I have no reason to disbelieve you, then we should just have this, they should put this algorithm in all our cameras, and I mean, it's just how JPEGs should be compressed. That's, that's cool. So John's got two pictures up that he's showing me. He'll turn his laptop around and show you. I can't tell which one is the, the crazy one. Uh, and what, what's the size delta between those two? Uh, let me look in the finder. Okay. Yeah, this is a classic car that I saw in my neighborhood. I like classic cars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so note from the audience here that there's a lot of patents, as there should be. That's great. Oh, I know. I hope they, I hope they're able to take that tech and sell it to. Uh, the name of the company, John, is uh, ICVT, okay. and they're out in the small vendor area. 
so JPEG mini and um, so the, the one image I did, I didn't do extensive testing here, but the initial image, 2.8 megabytes, the, uh, the image after, 1.7. Okay. So I won't always do five times. Sure. But, but even that is significant enough that it should just be happening. Yeah, and especially, uh, you know, I have, uh, like right now, my app, I'm looking right now, my aperture library is 133 gigabytes. So maybe I should compress, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compress some right. of my pictures and uh, slim that down a bit because that's, uh, that's a lot. Any questions before we uh, just keep filling time with cool stuff found? Because we've got lots. Pete, you got a question? Come on up. Hi, Pete. Hello. I, uh, I listened to the episode about microphones, so I'm going to try and do proper mic technique. Where, uh, are, we, are we good? We're good. All right. So uh, I have a home theater. I have a projector, and I have audio engine A5 speakers. But uh, I just bought an Apple TV, and it only does audio through HDMI which the projector doesn't do. It doesn't even have a pass-through. And the Apple TV also does uh, optical. So I'm kind of in the market for a converter to analog so the A5s can take it, or I was maybe searching for perhaps a soundbar that can take optical in and not only take it and output it, but also pass it through as analog. So uh, I don't know if Sonos is the way to go. I, 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 have you seen a product out there? That's all I got. Yeah, good question. No, Sonos is not the way to go for that. Uh, Sonos is sort of its own baked-in system. You, you can't get, you can't do what you want to do with Sonos um, yet. Uh, but perhaps, I, and I don't know anything about this other than what we saw the day after Christmas when um, Gadget discovered that Sonos has some product called the Play Bar coming. But we don't know what it is, so it, you know, and, and they haven't released it yet. So, uh, but anyway, really, uh, what you want to do is go to monoprice.com, and you can take. They, they have an adapter there, uh, or it's a little breakout box. You plug it into power, and it'll take optical, uh, it will take HDMI, and split it out to optical and also to eighth inch. And, and so that, I mean, that's what you want, right, is you want to get this out. You, you want to take the signal from your projector, which is HDMI, right, and, and go to your A5 speakers. And so you go, if you go HDMI into this thing, it'll do HDMI out so you can go to your projector or whatever. Yep, it'll fork it. And it'll split the audio out separately to uh, either two-channel on, uh, on, a, on a mini like headphone jack, which is what you need for your A5 speakers, or it'll go optical, which isn't going to help you, but it, it's actually really handy. I use one of these at home because my um, receiver amplifier doesn't have HDMI, and a lot of my devices, like, like you, don't have optical out, and so I go to this thing, and it splits it out, I send HDMI to my TV, and then I send optical to my, uh, to my receiver. But I could also send two-channel, uh, you know, over copper wire, like, the headphone jack. So it takes HDMI in as well as optical? Yes, it'll take HDMI in or optical in, but you might as well just let the HDMI do the pass-through, and that way the sound stays in sync, and, you know, you're not having to drive yourself crazy which is really what we try to do for you. <laughs> and what you meant, I just want to back this up yeah, here. So if, if, if any of you have not shopped at Monoprice, uh, they are great, especially uh, the, the, the one scam that I still see in a lot of places is HDMI cables. Uh, there are places that, uh, I've, I've seen them, the prices are ridiculous. Uh, I've seen places try to charge 100 bucks for an HDMI cable. That, that's highway robbery. That, that is bogus. Um, Monoprice has, uh, I've gotten HDMI cables from them, 
for you know like under ten or maybe under five dollars depending on the length. Yep. And I've also gotten uh, Ethernet cables from them for for very good prices, and and they work just fine. Uh, gigabit, you know, Cat six cable and stuff like that. Uh, the only downer, I, I also bought a router from them or, or a, a gigabit switch. Uh, the only piece of equipment I got from them, it was an 802.11n uh, uh, access point. Uh, I mean, it was like 20 bucks, but it, it uh, didn't function very reliably. It would uh, lose the HCP leases and stuff like that. But the switch works great. Good. Eight-port switch. Again, it was like 25 bucks. Uh, well, the one, so, I, and I, I'm sorry I don't have the model number of the device I'm recommending to you, but we'll put it in the show notes because um, we're doing this on the fly here. But the one thing I will say, and you'll read all the reviews on it, the lights on this thing are so bright that everybody has to solve it with black electrical tape over the front. I mean, it, it, you know, you cannot watch a movie with this thing in the room. It's just, it will sear your retinas because uh, there's like four lights on the front. It's, just, it's crazy. It's like, oh, well, they're bright. You know, and they even shine through black electrical tape. I mean, they're that, they're that bright. But, you know, of all the problems to have... Yeah, you could open it up and snip the cable. Yeah, but there's times when you actually want to know what it's set to because it's like it's also a four-way box is what it what it is. So there's, you know, you may not use it for that, but it's been very reliable. Um, John, do you have any? Is it my turn for cool stuff found, or is it you? I hear Dead Man's Party playing behind me from uh, Danny Elfman's uh, Boingo Boingo. I got one left. Yeah, go. All right, let me go. So I also wrote an article about this. Uh, this is coming out shortly, and it is a product that... Uh, There's several of these out here. Actually, this would have been good for Katie. Uh, it's called Clean My Mac 2. Uh, MacPaw is the company. Clean My Mac 2. It will be coming out very shortly. They've, uh, they've been working on this uh, for quite a while right now. And as I mentioned before here, one thing that the Mac doesn't do a very good job of is getting rid of the cruft when you throw something away is that it leaves little, little bits scattered about. This program, I looked through it, and, and I trusted it enough to actually install it and run it on my machine here. It does a number of things. Uh, it will do a, a system-level cleanup where it will get rid of cache files, log files, things that most people probably don't need or may need refreshing or clearing out every now and then to get your system uh, running properly. Uh, one feature that I thought was really neat, you could do this with a little... Uh, you know, uh, finder magic here. We, we suggest some ways to do this. But they also have a large and old file uh, feature where it'll show you your largest and oldest files. And the guess is, is that if it's large and old, you probably don't need it and it's probably taking up lots of space. So it'll find those and categorize those for you. Um, I'm going to point out something that you said in passing there. You said, I trusted enough to install it on my Mac. Anybody that knows John F. Braun knows that is the highest compliment he could possibly give to a piece of software, especially a piece of software like this. So, uh, so yeah, that convinced me. I was like, we were talking about it the other morning, and I said to him, I said, well, I asked him that question. I said, did you install it on yours? Because he was advocating for it to win an Editor's Choice Award, which it did. And uh, he said, yeah, I installed it. And I said, all right, I'm done. That's, that's all I need to know. If he's willing to pull it on his Mac, because I put anything on my Mac. I, you know, I'll test anything, but I pay for that, you know, and time lost some, sometimes. Um, so that's, that's good. Uh, a few other things it does, uh, it will, um, so they've uh, apparently researched uh, iPhoto. Now, this one may make me a little nervous. Um, iPhoto cleanup. Apparently, there's a lot of redundant data in uh, your iPhoto library, so they, they say that they can clean that up. I haven't yet run that. I'll give it a shot. Always make a backup first, folks. Uh, 
And then it has a uh, trash feature, which will uh, find not only the system trash, but a lot of applications make their own trash and may not empty properly, so that can help free up some space for you as well. And then they have a general uh, extension manager. Another thing that uh, OS X really doesn't have is that you know it has a folder full of extensions, but it doesn't really have a nice way of, uh, of managing all of those things or turning them on and off uh, to troubleshoot. Uh, and then a, a type of eraser uh, program, which will uh, erase things... Uh, much quicker than the Finder. I've actually, you know, I actually found this, Dave. I don't know if it's the Drobo or just the Finder, but it's I had your, some. It's your NAS drive. Okay. They're slow to, yeah. Because I had some multi, like, like 100 gigabyte files, and I tried to trash them, and it was, like, taking hours. It's and I'm like, time. why is this? Okay, so it was the, it was well, the Drobo. I mean, it could be. It, you, that could happen on your local drive, too. Yeah. So right, I, one, one, well, I got one left, and I actually learned about this at the rapid-fire session I did the other night, uh, where there were like eight or ten of us that did five minutes on a different topic. And Christian Boyce did, uh, you know, kind of general Mac tips. And one thing that he showed me that I had not seen is a little app or helper or whatever you want to call it for your Mac called Desktop Curtain. Uh, it's from many tricks, the same people that make Moon, which we have talked about here. But what Desktop Curtain does is it literally drops a curtain over your desktop. I don't know about you, but my desktop is often filled with a lot of junk because I just dump stuff out there. And actually, I had to, right before I went and did that rapid fire, I had to take all the junk that was on my desktop and dump it into a folder because I knew that people were going to see my desktop as I was doing this rapid fire thing. And... Uh, and, and so desktop curtain certainly solves that problem from a, you know, from a presentation standpoint, but it also solves that problem from a distraction standpoint, right? You know, you're, you're out there, you're, you're trying to focus on doing one thing, and, and your desktop's a mess, and you can invoke this thing with a keystroke, and you can set it to allow only one app to be in front of it, and you can do all sorts of different things. So uh, desktop curtain is the... Uh, is the app there and, and John's got it up here how, how much is it can I see is it five bucks over the uh, go, go up 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 it's up right up there five bucks thank you my friend and uh, and I think that that winds us up toward the end I don't have the, um, the I can't bring the band in so uh, but but uh, but we, we're here so uh, I think even without the band there, there's a couple things we need to go through the people here know how to contact us, at least right now, but, uh, but the people at home and even the people here when, once they're at home, they need to know how to contact us, John. So do you want to help them with that? There are a number of ways to contact us. One, you could pick up the telephone and you could call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, Dave, is? 4335. Uh, you can email us to feedback at macgeekab.com. Um, I, I believe they, Dave said feedback at MacEgab.com. And all together now, ready? One, two, three. Feedback! That's all. No, that was good. That was good. <laughs> uh, you can Skype us to MacEgab. Uh, you can go on Facebook.com, and it's Facebook.com slash MacEgab. And you can find us on Twitter, Twitter.com slash MacEgab for the show, Twitter.com slash John F. Braun for him. Uh, Dave Hamilton for me, and we'll say hi to Pilot Pete, even though he's not here. 
He's never here. Um, we need to get him at Macworld one of these days. And of course, you can find the live stream for most episodes, well, except this one, because we couldn't get an output from this funky little box they have. But uh, at macgeekup.com slash stream, typically on Sundays, which is why I flubbed the intro to this show, not once, but twice. And I guess... That takes us to the outro. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast because he converts this show to AAC and adds all the chapters for all of you. Thank Cashfly, of course, for the bandwidth because without the bandwidth, we can't get it from us to you. I'd like to thank all of you for coming here and sitting through this with us and interacting. It's been a pleasure doing this in front of you. Uh, of course, the podcast marketplace has Text Expander from Smile, BB Edit from Bare Bones, and, uh, and Squarespace. And, of course, Gazelle. And uh, I believe that brings us to the end. But perhaps, John, you might have... You know what? Let's ask them. Do you, might you have any last... We're going to do this better this time. Might you have any lasting words of wisdom for the folks that are, that are listening at home? One... Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. See you next time.